On and off the field, women in sports are inspiring and motivating others to be the best versions of themselves, rewriting the rules and changing the game. This is the On Her Turf podcast, hosted by Katherine Tappen. Welcome to the On Her Turf podcast. I'm Katherine Tappen. Thank you so much for joining us this time. Today we are chatting with former Oakland Raiders CEO and current CBS NFL analyst Amy Trask. Amy serves as a panelist on We Need to Talk, the first ever nationally televised all-female sports show, and also contributes to the NFL Today on CBS. She's also the author of You Negotiate Like a Girl. Amy, thanks so much for joining us. It is my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So this is your busy time of year. Give me a picture of what your normal day looks like. You know what the fun is? There is no normal day. There is no typical day. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm privileged and, and pleased to be having this conversation with you today. There is no normal day. Uh, it's obviously very, very, very heavy football right now with a little bit of big three basketball mixed in, whereas at other times of the year, it's heavier basketball. Well, let's go back in your career here because I know you know you've had you've had so much movement and so much uh, so much so many great opportunities along the way. But prior to joining CBS in 2013, you were one of the highest ranking women in all of American professional sports, serving as CEO of the Oakland Raiders. Just give me a picture of what your role was then and your day to day responsibilities as the CEO. Well, again, um, the fun of that career was uh, there was no. There were no two days that were the same. I was with the Raider organization for almost 30 years, if one includes my internship. And certainly when looking back at my career, I include my internship because that's where it began. I worked for a team owner, Al Davis, who oversaw all of our football areas. And by that, I mean he, you know, there was um, some teasing from time to time that the, the team should hire a GM. And I laughed inwardly, sometimes outwardly, because he really was tantamount to our GM, notwithstanding that he was the owner. Uh, I oversaw the business aspects of the organization. I had responsibility for that which people would traditionally consider the business of a team, although really the business is football, so it's a little bit hard to dissect them. As you mentioned, you worked for Al Davis nearly 30 years. Of course, Al Davis, the legendary owner of the Raiders. You were the NFL's first female front office executive. What was he like to you over those years? Uh, It was the opportunity of a lifetime, as was working for him. Now, that doesn't mean we got along all the time, or I should say that doesn't mean we didn't argue. Uh, Well, looking back at my career, I think we disagreed more than we agreed. And in fact, that's, that's I, I believe, the biggest misconception about him is that you couldn't disagree with him or that he wouldn't tolerate disagreement or harbor those who would disagree with him. If that were the case, I would have been fired roughly two weeks into my job um, when I told him he was wrong about something. I, I will take a moment and say of him, because I'm sure that people listening to this will Um, Some will be Raider fans and will have tremendous respect and appreciation for Al. Others may hate the Raiders and and dislike Al tremendously. One thing on which I think we can all agree, I certainly hope that's the case if we're being intellectually honest, is that he was so far ahead of his time in terms of affording opportunities to individuals without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, religion, or any other individuality which has no bearing whatsoever on whether someone can do a job. And certainly I was a beneficiary of his forward thinking in that regard. 
Well, it's interesting what you said off the uh, off the start of that was that you got into it with him sometimes and you certainly disagreed with Al Davis. And I heard you recently talk about this, but I wanted to expand on that because you have to have a lot of confidence, a lot of self-awareness to be able to challenge someone in general, let alone challenge your boss um, in a very prestigious position that he is in. What were some of the challenges that you faced when you were trying to emphasize your point, but there was a disagreement between the two? of you, you know, was it a matter of digging deep and finding that confidence and knowing that you really felt strongly about something? Or how did you get through those moments? Well, disagree. You know, look, I think um, disagreement is healthy. It can be productive. A business where everyone agrees with one another all the time, simply for the sake of agreeing or stated differently, so as not to disagree, I don't think is a well-run business. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's productive. I don't think that makes a business the best it can be. And and maybe I, I deserve some teasing or, or opprobrium for this, however one wants to look at it. I don't find it difficult to disagree with someone if I believe there's an intellectual basis to do so. And I'll take you back to that first moment we had, uh, that first disagreement we have, because I think it set the tone for our working relationship. I hadn't been with the organization more than, you know, roughly two weeks. And he walked into an office in which I was sitting with a coworker. And he lit into that coworker in the manner I can only imagine a velociraptor would have ripped into flesh. (laughs) And as I listened to this, because it went on and on for some time, I realized he was wrong. So without giving it much thought, I simply interjected, excuse me. You're wrong. And his head turned to me sort of like Linda Blair's head turned in The Exorcist, that 180. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes. And um, it was all but the green stuff spewing out. And Mm. he looked at me, you know, here I am really and truly roughly two weeks into my job. And I said, look, if the data, if the information upon which you were basing your conclusions was correct, then you might be reaching a fair conclusion. But you're basing your conclusions on incorrect data, incorrect information. And he yelled, and I yelled, and he yelled, and I yelled. And look, I don't have a dainty voice under the best of circumstances. And unbeknownst to me at the time, I learned later, um, Doors were opening all around the building and people were walking into the hallway and listening to this brand new employee and Al Davis just (laughs) yelling at one another at the top of their lungs. And quite a while into this argument, he looked at me and he said, oh, okay, I gotcha. I got it. Mm. I got it. And the point I had made resonated with him. And we moved on (laughs) to another topic and we never spoke of that again. And what I realized at that moment was, go ahead and disagree. And by the way, that's a good thing because that's how I conduct myself. But if you're going to disagree, bring your data, bring your information, bring your reasons for disagreeing. Just don't disagree for the sake of disagreeing. But what I also realized was at the end of the day, he was the owner of that business. It was my responsibility to disagree with him when I believed he was wrong. But once he made a decision, it was also my responsibility to effectuate his decision as best I could, thus making it the best decision it could be, even if I disagreed with it, Mm -hmm. and not to distance myself from it. I had no tolerance or um, just no respect for people 
who would run around and whisper, well, I don't like that decision or it's not my decision. Nope. Once it's made, it's the decision of the organization. You do your best you can with it. Uh, that's tremendous advice because you're right, and especially when you're working in a team environment, which you were in any organization or any company that you're working for, it is a team environment, and you have to go with what the ultimate decision is. But you talk about disagreement being healthy and productive. It also can be scary sometimes, Amy. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that probably wouldn't take your route and may just sit there and agree with the Al Davises of the world and, and not want to voice their opinion. What advice would you have with maybe overcoming that fear? Um, maybe someone's not quite as confident but truly believes in themselves and, as you mentioned, has the data to back that up. What advice do you give them to overcome that? I will share that advice with you in one moment. I will just note that different people, you know, different things scare different people. I think you use the word frighten and it's a great word. Different things frighten different people. So just as um, some people are frightened by what you just described, I'm frightened by other things. And so the advice I will share with you is the best advice I've ever received in my life from my mom, Um, although I will tell you that my whole, actually, until I was almost out of college, I didn't realize that my mom didn't invent this advice. It's Shakespearean. (laughs) My mom told me from the time I can remember over and over and over again, as moms can do, to thine own self be true. And it is the best advice I've ever received. So what I would suggest to those people to whom you referred that might be concerned about or uncomfortable or frightened by disagreeing with someone, be true to yourself and do it in the manner that feels right and works best for you. For me, that was often hollering or being very direct and and confrontational, being a contrarian at times. For other people, it might take a different shape or a different form. It might be softer. It might be more subtle. It might be more diplomatic. It might be more deferential. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Find what works the best for you and don't try to be someone or something you're not. Well said. And amen to that. You're absolutely right. I love that. Um, Before I get off this Raiders conversation real quick, I got to ask you, you know, you were known and are known to Raiders fans as the Princess of Darkness. Did you like that nickname? How did that all come about? Oh, boy, oh, boy. I think it's the best nickname ever. (laughs) It's pretty darn good. I (laughs) I shall forever cherish it, and I hope it frightens you just a little bit. Uh, here, the, the, the way it came about was as follows. Uh, Mike Silver, who was then with Sports Illustrated, wrote a piece on me, and in it, he quoted um, it was either a league executive or an executive with another team in the league who said, you know, she's a smarter, meaner Al Davis. And by the way, I showed Al that quote a lot. I'm like, this is the part where it says I'm smarter and meaner. Good for um, you. But, but all teasing aside, he said, we refer to her, not in her presence, as the princess of darkness. And, and this was not intended as a compliment, not by a long shot. But Raider fans took to it. Raider fans loved it and embraced it. I loved it and embraced it. And I became known as the princess of darkness to Raider fans. And I absolutely love the nickname, and I I shall cherish it forever. That's awesome. Do you have it anywhere on any of your, you know, logoed on anything or? Someone recently gave me a stationary of 
Um, someone recently gave me a gift of a bag I can use to carry my things, uh, my work stuff back and forth each week from, from Los Angeles to New York City. And um, it does say Princess of Darkness on one side. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm sure people who don't know you are thinking, who, who is that? A Princess of Darkness? <laughs> I'm going to take a different Either seat on the airplane. They think I'm odd. Yeah, okay. neither of the above. Okay, let's talk about your role models. You mentioned your mom and her Shakespearean advice, and uh, and your father was in the Navy. I would imagine both of them were tremendous role models in your life. Um, tell me about them and their influence on you and also any other people that you really admired as you went along in your career and your business adventures. Uh, well, my dad, and I will just put a footnote on this, he wasn't a career naval uh, naval officer. He didn't spend a career in the Navy. He was in the Navy uh, at the tail end or the, the latter part of World War II and then went on to a civilian career in engineering. Um, and I also should admit, because I referenced that I learned when I was almost out of college that the advice my mom shared with me was Shakespearean, that I never actually read Hamlet. I just sort of stumbled across it. And I feel it's a little bit disingenuous for me to suggest that I actually read Hamlet because I didn't. Um, but I did stumble across that that was Shakespearean advice. And, and it is the, the best advice I've ever received. People ask me all the time, did I have a role model? And the answer is no. Um, I took a little bit from a lot of people. I've had the great, great fortune of interacting over my life with so many terrific people. My parents are two of them that, that you identified. And whether it's siblings or friends or, you know, my mom and dad raised us um, in the it takes a village manner. Before that, it takes a village was even a saying or um, it became a label. But I really was raised in a magnificent, magnificent village of friends and an extended family and, and, and really mostly friends who were tantamount to family. And I took a little bit from a lot of people. But as to my mom, um, a very, very special moment. After I'd been with the Raiders for a number of years, she said something in a very, very quiet voice. And my mom didn't, does not have a quiet voice. She didn't use a quiet voice then. She still doesn't. Um, and so I knew it was something special. And she shared with me that she was a very, very big fan of Al Davis's and might be his biggest fan. And I looked at her and, I mean, look, this wasn't about bump and run. It wasn't about throwing deep. It wasn't about the quarterback must go down and he must go down hard. My mom went to college in the late 1940s, and she was a chemistry major. And when she was coming out of college, she was interviewing with all the major chemical companies and pharmaceutical companies, and no one was hiring her. And at one point, she said to a chemical company, why am I not getting hired by anyone? I, I have a degree in chemistry, and you just hired my stupid lab partner. Without me, he wouldn't have even passed chemistry. And they looked at her and said, well, you're a beautiful woman. You have a really large diamond ring on your hand, and we're not going to hire you and spend resources training you only to have you leave us to go start a family. And so she was very, very moved by the fact that Al hired me and allowed me to grow within the organization without regard to my gender. What a blessing to have her and to have all this advice and her influence on your life and your career. Yeah. And, and but by the way, as most daughters do, um, we butted heads and we argued and were I her when I was a teenager, I would have sent me away to boarding school because I was a that <laughs> kid. Uh, but no, I, I've, I've learned a lot and taken a lot from so many people. I don't have one role model 
or one person who's taught me a lot. I ha- I've had the good fortune of learning from many. And by the way, Al Davis is high on that list. You authored You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the NFL. So many people in public positions want to write a book. Many do. Some can't figure out what they want to focus on. What was your primary reason for writing this? I love to write. There was a period in my life where I thought, you know what, I'll be a writer. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll write trashy romance novels or I'll write spy novels or mystery novels. So, and, and there was a, a period of time during my college years where I thought I might want to be a journalist. So I love to write. Um, and I had stories I wanted to share. There was no deep, profound reason. I didn't think you know, I, I didn't think that there was an important message that had to be shared. I wasn't looking to teach anything. I had stories I wanted to share, and I wanted to share them, you know, fairly shortly after I ended my uh, time with the Raiders. So how did you narrow down exactly what you wanted to focus on for the book? Well, I, um, I as I said, I love to write, and I asked um, a tremendous gentleman, a tremendous writer, Mike Freeman, if he would assist me because I'd never written a book. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and I, I just disgorged, you know, probably 75,000 words and put them, put them uh, down on, on paper, so to speak. But I had no idea how to make that into a book, how to organize it, how to um, prioritize, and, and he was just tremendous. The man deserves a medal of, of honor for patience. In helping me, um, he crafted it and, and put it into the shape of, guided me into how to make it and take these thoughts and make them into a book. There are so many challenges, Amy, when you think about a big career, especially a woman in a big career and, and the balance and the struggles and everything else that she goes through. Personally, when did you experience difficulty balancing your personal and your professional life? Um, I, you know, I don't know that I do balance, and that's okay. And I get a little bit, um, I guess my feathers get a little ruffled, to use an expression. I bristle a bit when people um, try to be instructive with me or with anyone else about the, quote, work-life balance, close quote. Because what that implies is that we must all find a balance. And what a balance generally means is that you're looking for the scale to hit that medium, to hit that balance. My view is every single one of us, no matter our age, our gender, our our family status, we get to, to the extent we're in an economic and other position to do so, define how we want to do this. And maybe we don't want balance. Nobody should be given the cross eye, the side eye, for not choosing a balance or for opting to have an imbalanced life or for opting to have an imbalanced life at any particular time. I don't think anybody should be shamed or pressured into trying to achieve an equal balance. Do it how you want to do it, whether it's balanced or not. Do you think that in order to, if, if you're balanced or you're not balanced, do you think ultimately you have to do what makes you happy and everything will seem balanced in your life in whatever picture that may be, according to others? Well, I think that you just hit the nail on the head with the, the last part of your sentence or question, which is it really shouldn't matter to you what anyone outside of your immediate circle, whether that's, you know, a marriage or a relationship or a family or a parental or a child situation, what third parties 
think of how you choose to live your life, whether it's working like a crazy person around the clock or opting not to do so, that's a very personal decision. Now, sometimes we have to make decisions for economic reasons. We've got economic pressures. But putting that aside for a moment, you know, what is there's a great expression that that and I'll use the, you know, sort of the old person language kids today um, (laughs) have crafted, which is you do you. You do you and define this to the extent your economic and other circumstances allow you to do so as you wish. Do you regret anything when you think back to your path and, and what you, the path that you've taken to get to where you are today? Uh, any regrets? Not a thing. Not a thing. That's amazing. Um, That's the decision awesome. that I had to make when I was, I, I shouldn't say have to make, I chose to make the decision to leave the Raiders and move into a new career was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And in saying that, I recognize what a tremendously fortunate life I've had. But it was an excruciatingly hard decision. It took me over a year to make the decision. And one always wonders when making a decision like that if she or he will regret it. And I don't. It was absolutely the right decision, but it was a scary and a hard decision to make. But because it's the right decision, no regrets. Yeah. Did you ever, during that process of trying to decide if you were going to leave the Raiders and throughout that whole year that you were contemplating this, you mentioned you were a little scared. I mean, did you ever wonder, geez, am I going to regret this? Is this the right decision? I mean, that's an incredibly difficult 180 that you did really transitioning from one career to the next. Uh, It had to be challenging at times to come up with the decision that you wanted. You articulated that more perfectly than I could. I was scared. I was I was terrified. Is this the right decision? I've done this for almost 30 years. I've loved this. It was a very, very hard decision. And I remember at one point saying to my husband, who is, is off the charts patient, that until I made that decision, I was not even going to be able to think about what I would do next. In other words, I had to make that decision in a vacuum and then think about what was next. I couldn't do both at the same time. And so I woke up the morning after I I shared with ownership that I was leaving, and I looked at my husband and I said, I'm a blight on society. I think I said I'm a blight on humanity. That's right. I said, I'm a blight on humanity. I have nothing to do. And we laughed, and, and sure enough, I've found other things to do. Yes, you have indeed. What what do you like to do for fun, Amy? What, you know, what you and your husband, what do you guys like to do? As mushy-gushy as this is going to sound, it's the absolute, honest, stone-cold truth. My favorite thing to do when, when not working is to spend time with my husband doing anything. It mm. could be sitting and having a cup of coffee. It could be taking a walk at the beach. It could be any sort of adventure, but any time with him is my favorite. Love that. Amy, there's so much um, negativity right now around the NFL, and this is a sport that you love and you have been entrenched with for the better part of three decades. Do you think that this negativity, this is a theme with the sport of football itself, or is this a byproduct of where we all are right now as a society and the social issues that we're all confronted with? Well, I think um, that, that what a tremendous, that, that's a phenomenal question. Um, let's focus on the latter half first, and then I'll circle back to the first half. There is a, we all collectively have to find a way to engage in civil discourse, to recognize that we are not always going to agree on everything, but to have reasoned and reasonable discussions 
to listen to one another, to learn one another's viewpoints, and when disagreeing, to do so agreeably. And that, you know, the overlap here and and why I start that way is it touches upon some of the issues to which you're referring with respect to football. And I imagine one of the issues to which you refer is the, quote, anthem issue, close quote, only it's gotten misconstrued as an anthem issue. There's no protesting of the anthem going on. There is a protest going on during the anthem, but the protest is not of the anthem, but it's become referred to as the anthem issue. And it's frustrating to me that people simply want to yell at one another rather than to converse with one another. And look, everyone's allowed to have different viewpoints, but we need to find a way, not only in this country, but throughout the world, to exchange our thoughts in a reasoned and reasonable manner, to disagree agreeably, and to recognize that it's okay if we don't agree as long as we conduct ourselves in a manner that that is civil and embrace civil discourse. And what I wish the National Football League and the teams would do is not look at this as a problem, but look at this as an opportunity to say to their fan bases, let's, let's learn how to engage in civil discourse. Let's embrace this disagreement and use it as a touch point, as a learning point, Start having conversations where we listen to one another and move forward, recognizing that we're not always going to agree. Amy, you liked my question. Your response was A++++. Tremendous perspective there. So well said. Um, I know our audience certainly will appreciate what you said there. I know we've kept you long enough. We do have a couple little rapid-fire questions to have a little fun with you. Um, Good. You can I think love, the- you take your time. I love rapid-fire questions. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure? ice cream, although I don't really think that should be considered guilty, but um, I, I consider it one of the major food groups. I eat it multiple <laughs> times a day, um, very large what flavor. Quantities. Oh, there's, there's no favorite. I do like flavors that have bits and chips and pieces and parts, not just smooth <laughs> flavors. All right. What is one item besides your cell phone that you just cannot leave home without? I'm going to say my, my little laptop then. Am I allowed to say that or is that too close to a cell phone? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's close. Uh, you know what? It works. Snacks, snacks, really and truly. When I leave for the airport, when I leave anywhere, I have to have a bag of snacks with me. What, like almonds, granola bars, that kind of oh, thing? No. Everything? Yeah, please, not, nothing so healthy. <laughs> um, cookies, um, snacky things, trail mix, things like that. I have to have snacks with me at all times. Well, it's smart. I find myself in meetings, you know, days 15 hours long and I haven't had a snack yet. I, I really, I need oh, to keep stuff in my that. bag like you do. I know, I know. I forget, especially when you're traveling so much, you just forget these things. But what is the top item on your bucket list right now? Ooh, you've stumped me. Hmm, a place I, you want to go maybe? I on my bucket. I'm sorry? Well, you need to create a, I said a place you want to go maybe? Um, no, I'm just really happy. I don't, no. I don't know that there's a place I want to go. I like right, that I've answer, got, too. I've got, to, yeah, I've got to get an incomplete on the quiz, then, because I don't have any answer Yeah, you, and you've got to get a bucket list. You really, well, <laughs> you need a bucket list you know, as much the, as you the, need a spirit animal in life, right? <laughs> there's, um, there's one thing that's of, of tremendous, tremendous importance to me, um, and I wish I could save every single animal. I wish I could rescue every dog and every cat, and I know that I can't do that for every dog or cat that needs a home, but in terms of bucket list and and where I want to focus energy and effort over the years. I want to put a tremendous amount of my time, effort, and energy into 
animal rescue. Thank you so much for being such an inspiration for all of us. I know our audience has appreciated your time, as have I, and just keep kicking butt and blazing that trail for the rest of us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Amy. Thank you, and I am a tremendous fan of your work and what you're doing, and I wish you all the very, very best as you pursue your dreams and goals, and I thank you for having me. It was a real privilege and pleasure. Thanks, Amy. We'll chat with you down the road. Sounds great. Thank you to our guest today, Amy Trask, former Oakland Raiders CEO and current CBS NFL analyst. You can download the On Her Turf podcast on Apple Podcast and Stitcher. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you, so be sure to chime in and also follow us on Instagram at On Her Turf. Have a great rest of your day, everyone, and be sure to join us next time for the On Her Turf podcast.